to tell us a bit more about this moment 50 years ago, what we learned from it, but more importantly, what we learned from it for the challenges we confront today. I'm joined on the line by Dr. Richard Pithouse, and uh, he is a, a researcher and academic. Uh, Richard, good evening to you and welcome. Thank you. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us. And um, I want us maybe to, just to start off, I guess, with uh, the story itself. Uh, it starts out on the 9th of January, but uh, many have suggested it probably, you know, ends up, depending on how you look at it, uh, in 1979 or 1985 or 1994 or even 2012. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I've just, um, just just walked out of a lecture by advocate Gatobe. Mm. Um, the lectures on uh, Robert Sabukwe, of course, today is the day of the anniversary of Sabukwe's mm. passing. And to understand the Durban strikes, you've got to understand that moment in 1960, um, which we associate, of course, with Sabukwe, the massacre um, at Charlottesville, and what happened after that, the, the crushing of any kind of open black political dissent in mm. South Africa in the sense that that the apartheid state has really got control, um, that it's sort of impregnable. And then, yes, suddenly in Durban um, in January in 1973, African workers walk out of work in one factory and then another and then another. And it continues right through um, January, February and March for three months. And Durban at that point in our history is highly industrialized. Um, it's a site of manufacturing as, as well as a port. And this is a real shock to, to the system. And it opened up new possibilities for organizing um, that are quite different in some ways, but that are rooted initially in the factory floor, but certainly um, by the later, latter part of the 70s and through the 1980s, also take um, their form uh, in communities. But it's important to understand two things about this that are often not, well, have often not been acknowledged in, in the re- recollections in this year. One is that there's an assumption often that those workers who went on strike just sort of did so spontaneously. This is very typical of a certain way of looking at the world that thinks that, um, you know, working class people, um, African people, particularly working class African people, engage in politics in um, inverted commas, spontaneous ways. That there's not history, there's not thinking that predates this. There's a long history of militancy in the docks in Durban, and that is linked to what happens in 73. The other point that is really important to understand the wider context is that what happens in Durban in 73 is part of a wider process of political innovation and, and renewal that is mm. also very much associated with Steve Biko and the development of the Black Consciousness Movement. And these things are happening on the campus and in the factories mm. and they're happening at the same time. Richard, I-, I want us to pause there for a second because I think the link you draw there between you know, the um, rolling waves of workers walking off uh, production lines and going out on strike, uh, and of course the emerging black consciousness movement, um, is uh, something that's linked to a, a clip we have here 
from uh, one of the leaders of that uh, movement and, uh, you know, uh, activist, former playwright himself, uh, Strini Moodley. So uh, take a listen mm. to this and uh, let's also try and reestablish our connection with you on a better line. Richard, I mean, that there, I guess, uh, you know, uh, Strini Moodley's view at the time, uh, being interviewed by a crew there and, uh, of course, those uh, uh, that archive audio courtesy of Thames TV. Uh, but, uh, I mean, what, what do you make of, um, I guess, that characterization at the time from one of the foremost leaders of the black consciousness movement that, you know, while they welcomed this development, they also saw that one of the significant limitations of it, that at that stage it probably hadn't gelled and coalesced into a movement that could bring industry and capital to its knees? Yeah, well, firstly, thanks for that. I haven't heard Streamy's voice. Since, since he died, so it was quite a wonderful little moment to to hear his voice again. Um, yeah, I, I think he was he was quite insightful because obviously in that moment when workers were walking out of factories, there there weren't the kind of organisations that could link workers across different sites of work, across different forms of work, and of course to people outside of uh, outside of the factories. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning. There's a real debate, you know, what are the objectives of the workers? Is it just about wages? Is this simply a case of people who, um, you know, there's been inflationary pressures and they can't survive on the wage they were surviving on two or three years ago? Or is there a deeper, broader um, political uh, set of possibilities, desires, demands at play? And of course, I mean, in that moment, given what had happened after, after Sharpsville, people had to be very careful about, about what they said. Um, if you wanted to be able to operate legally, you had to operate within certain frameworks. But I think it's very interesting that the initial um, reports on the strikes, you know, whether it was by um, uh, the black students through their publication or whether it was through the kind of NUSA students, really tended to focus on the question of the wage, because I think it was mm. so. But we can see, if we look at it in the wider sweep of history, that what happened in 73 opened up all kinds of, um, and in the wider Durban moment, all kinds of political possibilities. I mean, 76 obviously happens in Johannesburg three years later, but uh, you just played Streamy, um, an interview with Streamy Mudley. I mean, he's a key figure in what happens the following year in 1974 mm. where there's a rally in Durban in support of Frelimo. Yeah. Now, that is the most extraordinarily defiant act. The height of the power of the apartheid state to organize a rally in Curry's Fountain in more or less central Durban in support of Frelimo. Um, of course, Stringy Mudley went to Robben Island for that. Mm. But... Um, the movement from that moment from 73, you know, early 73 to 74, 76, it's an incredibly rapid accumulation of, of, of uh, radical mm. um, forms of politics and expression and new desires and new organizational forms of merging. Richard, I mean, I'm but, quite interested in something else, right? I mean, to, to your point about how we draw the connections between different moments and events. Uh, you make the point of the sort of Frelimo rally in Curry's Fountain in 74, June 1976, um, and many also make the connection between this and the later Vian Commission. Uh, 
which leads to the recognition of trade unions. But the other thing I'm quite interested in is to what degree do you see coming up, certainly in our recollection of that moment, generational links, right? So the old Saktu types, uh, uh-huh. you know, and the role that they would have played, because that that's something that uh, I think to some degree hasn't, you know, hasn't um, probably in discussions like this been spoken of a lot, that actually there were also many generations of people uh, who effectively were reignited into struggle after a lull as a result of what we saw in Durban. Yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting and, in fact, a very important question because I grew up in Durban. I mean, um, I grew up, I lived there, and I grew up politically there. And, you know, the stories that were most commonly told on the university campus about that, particularly the labor aspect of, of, of the Durban moment, the 1973 moment, is that the ANC was in exile. They didn't know what was happening. They had no influence. They had no control. And this was a completely new form of politics that emerged. Mm. And the story could sometimes be told in a way that says, look, this was a democratic form of politics in opposition to the authoritarianism um, of the ANC in exile. And there were like intense debates within trade unions a few years later between groups of people who wanted you know, workers to build their power autonomously from the national liberation struggle and other people who felt that workers should be part of that national liberation struggle. But, in fact, we now know, and uh, I think the person who's really written about this the most, um, although it's in sort of scattered bits and pieces here and there, uh, is David Hampson, who is also interviewed in that um, in that video that you played a clip mm, from. Mm. Um, because that David, has, David was there, he was there before 73, he was connected with workers, and dock workers actually went on strike earlier in '72. Um, he was he was there at the time, and he in, in one piece that he wrote, it's just a short piece on a sort of on a website. It's not published anywhere formal. He has this amazing and I think actually kind of very moving recollection of when the '73 moment happened. Workers going back into their homes and opening up the floorboards and taking out pamphlets mm-hmm. that they'd hidden. You know, in the, after after the campdown in 1960, and there absolutely were these connections to to what Hampson calls the I think he calls the the national struggle, um, and they were reconnected and 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 revived. It doesn't mean that um, you know the ANC were behind the strikes, but it also doesn't mean that the strikes had nothing to do with the ANC. Mm. So it means there were um, those existing political traditions. That I guess exactly. you know people were able to tap into uh, exactly. and pass on to an uh, uh, a next generation. Um, yes. Just your thoughts, I mean, on on how seminal a moment I guess that was in what we later saw, I guess, in trade unions coming together to create a new federation, um, and ultimately, I guess you know the other element to it, Richard, is what do we learn about seventy three that has some purchase and utility for our moment now? Public sector workers said to go out on strike, increasing unilateralism in the workplace. Uh, you know, there's some data that comes out periodically from the Department of Employment and Labor. And they show that, you know, actually in the post-apartheid period, there's been a rise in unilateral determination of wages, conditions of work. Uh, and effectively, more workers today might be working in places where they can't bargain for their wages than maybe what one might have had in the 90s, so probably a new moment of workplace crises. 
What can we do to learn from 73, I guess, to apply to that moment? Well, there's a lot you can learn from 73 and, and from the processes that, that followed, mm. um, you know, through the 70s and, and, and the 80s. Um, it's a lot we can learn. I mean, you know, of, of course, you're right. Um, many workers are not in a position where they can really um, organize effectively to, to contest around wages. Um, the economy, of course, um, doesn't desire labor in the way that it, that it used to. I mean, there's mass structural unemployment. Many of the new forms of economic activity that are developing are very, very different. I mean, you know, if your listeners are not from Durban, but if they travel to Durban, if they travel to the airport and, and take the road into the city, um, all they're going to see all along that road is warehouses. You know, that's the economy in Durban now. It's not factories. It's goods coming in at the harbour, going to mm. the warehouses, and being distributed from there. And many of those people aren't unionised. We don't have a functioning railway system. Um, those goods are transported by, by trucks. Truck drivers are incredibly badly exploited. Many of them are, are, are not unionised. With the whole economy shifting onto the road, roads become sites of incredible credible political potential for, for good or bad. I mean, it's truck drivers, right-wing truck drivers who block the roads in Canada or or when uh, Lula's elected in Brazil. Yeah, we've seen truck drivers being, you know, um, brought into xenophobic forms of politics. It's different. Mm. But what is the same, what is unchanging, is the capacity of ordinary people to organize themselves. And that is one of the lessons of, of 73, is that people can and people do. And there's also a lesson, I think, um, for university-trained intellectuals, because that generation who were in Durban in, in the early 70s and then later becomes you know, a national thing, whether it was the sort of, you know, people on, 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 on the campus, people like David Hanson or students like uh, like Stringy Moodley, whether they were linked to the black consciousness mo- moment there in Durban or whether they were linked to um, uh, academic or Richard Turner who was assassinated uh, in 78. They, they had a similar understanding of what praxis was, of what the work to change the world was. And that was rooted, I mean, I don't want to take too much of your time, I sort of think I'm speaking at length here already, but it was rooted in a global moment, a mm. global moment of, of youth rebellion in 1968. Sure. But it was also rooted specifically in Durban and the specific ideas that were themselves articulated to that 68 moment mm. that Biko popularized in Durban. And I'm talking about the radical Brazilian um, theorist. Freire. Freire. Yeah, the Freirean. Exactly. Mm. Mm. exactly. Biko introduced Freire to South Africa and held workshops on his ideas. And Freire had these ideas that he took a lot from Saint Fanon mm. um, about mutuality, about what Fanon called um, in this wonderfully resonant phrase, a productive current of enlightenment hmm. and enrichment. Yeah. And I was talking about dissident person who, who's been through university education, mm. connecting with oppressed people outside yeah. on this basis of reciprocity and mutual respect. Mm. Richard? And that is how you build 
and how you organize. And there's a lesson yeah. from then to now as well. I want us to pause there on that moment because uh, I guess that lesson of uh, the role of university intellectuals in a culture of mutual reciprocity um, in struggle, I think, is a very interesting point. Uh, and uh, we've got some voice notes. But uh, before we uh, head to that voice note, uh, take a listen to one of uh, the other clips that comes through from Thames TV of an interview uh, with um, you know, one of the women workers in 1973. And uh, just to give many of our listeners a glimpse of some of the issues and uh, the bread and butter issues that emerged uh, alongside some of the politics that uh, we've been talking about. 